What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Athlete Angle. This week, we're diving in with Corey Camp's origin story. We talked about when he discovered his passion for swimming, the dreams he had for himself, and the challenges he faced in his career and in retirement. We get into how his success in the pool led to a lack of confidence outside of the pool and his struggle to identify himself as more than a swimmer. The challenges did not stop there. When Corey retired, he struggled with motivation and shares how he found a way to learn more about himself and take advantage of the flow. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Athlete Angle. I'm your host, MC Bell. Do you feel like you're walking aimlessly through life after sports? Do you feel lost without your sport and unsure of how to find confidence in your purpose? It's like the second you hung up your cleats or walked off that field, you've been drifting ever since. Well, I'm here to tell you that you are not alone, my friend. You are one of thousands of student and professional athletes that struggle with transitioning into life after sports. Join me this week as we work to unravel the confusing journey of life post-sports, gain clarity in your purpose, and find confidence in your identity so you can flourish in life after sports. Let's dive in. Let's go all the way back to little Corey, childhood days, we're swimming. Where did the passion start? Where did this all kind of start? Uh, you know, where did the, where was the seed planted? I was going to say, you want the origin story here? Yes, um, please. I was, I was doing this, <laughs> but I didn't know what the word was. <laughs> so, um, so it's funny. We'll even backtrack it a little bit further. My dad swam in college as well. Um, and you would think naturally that would mean like, okay, cool. Corey's like in the pool as soon as he can walk and he's just taken to it. And my mom was very hesitant to enroll me in sports and enroll me into swimming in particular because she was like, well, we don't want you to just be like your dad. So let's wait a little bit. Um, she always knew like, okay, we'll put him in the water at some point. So he's water safe. Nothing happens to him that will be fine, but it'll be up to me to decide how far I want to take it. It won't be influence quote unquote from my dad. Mm. Uh, well, that all suddenly changed when I was four years old. We're at the pool that my dad is the summer league coach at the week before the weekend before that pools open. So Memorial day weekend week prior. And we're there. My dad's taking this paper signups, right? Because it's back in the day. You don't really have the online engines to yeah. manage all of that. And he's, at the table taking emails down and suit sizes. And he just says, Corey, go play, like go play on the playground, like go do your thing. I'm going to be here if you need anything. I was like, awesome, cool. I have free reign of this whole pool grounds. I'm going to go explore. Well, the thing that captivated my attention the most was this giant metal pole that turns out to be a pool vacuum. And for those not familiar with the pool vacuum at the bottom, a pool vacuum there's a thing with wheels because it cleans the bottom of the pool and it's got to be able to move well i thought okay. that's a really cool looking pole i want to climb it so i start to climb it and as i do the bottom slips out and next thing i know i'm holding onto a metal pole sinking in about 14 feet of water no idea how no. to swim there's no lifeguards on duty there because the pool's closed it's just the parents there like signing up for their kids to do swim lessons my dad and 
a couple of the older kids on the team. And thankfully, uh, one of the older kids ran all the way around the pool to try to go get me. My dad said, screw that. That's going to take too long. I'm just going to dive in and dove in fully clothed, ruined his cell phone, ruined everything. Um, and he got me before I even like truly had that. Oh shoot moment. I'm drowning. Right. Uh, that never clicked for me because huh, he got good. me uh, within about 30 seconds. I was like, that was pretty freaky, but okay. I'm, I'm cool. I'm alive. <laughs> the only oh. thing I really remember of that instance was being at McDonald's about 20 minutes later in my dad's like spare sweatshirt. I'm happy as a clan because this sweatshirt is massive on me. I'm super warm now uh, after just getting soaking wet. And I'm like, cool. I'm going to get some McDonald's. Like I'm, I'm good. I'm chilling. Meanwhile, my dad's like all pissed. He's like, dude, I can't believe Corey <laughs> just almost died. Like what, what is he doing? And that was the turning point that really convinced my mom to say, while we might not have to push him into the sport we should probably push like him getting swim safe and go from there uh so i was in swim lessons the very next week took to it um enjoyed it for the for some reason i had no like lasting fear of the water i took to it pretty naturally wow. i enjoyed it i found peace in it and that was just a theme that continued to go for me for those early years i was never really the fastest um i remember at various points like my dad coached year round as well and he coached the advanced kids the fast kids essentially and I remember doing year round after a few years of summer league and I was like okay cool like I want to be in my dad's group because like I love my dad and he's one of my best friends to this day and I want to spend time with him Aww. I was not fast enough to be in my dad's group uh, <laughs> I was with the slow kids all the way on the other end of the pool and I just remember going to practice those first few and being like, oh, man, all my friends are my dad's group. I want to be there. Mm. And I just made that my mission from that day forward. Like, I'm just going to work my butt off as much as I need to to get to those next groups, whatever that may be. And I had moments where that, like, went away. And that often – that was a common theme. You know, it went through that cycle of, like, as soon as I got lazy – I, that I got pushed and motivated again because I got separated from my friends and the people that I wanted to spend the time with the most. And that was really what kept me going in those early years until I really, quote unquote, got good, mm -hmm. uh, which was like later on high school kind of time frame. When did you when you realized you got good, is that did that replace the motivation for you to want to be good at your sport because, you know, you had opportunity attached to it? Mm. It's a good question. To some degree, yes. I mean, my my earliest dreams at like eight years old, I remember writing down in first grade um, or third grade, whatever grade you're in at eight, right? I had no idea. And <laughs> we, I remember watching the 04 Olympics was coming up and I remember getting ready for that. And I wrote on my goal sheet, like, I want to be an Olympian. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to represent Team USA. And that was started to what? be what motivated me but I was so far from from that I wasn't even the best in my age group or the best in my area or anything like that um, but as I started to, to get better yeah it started to be oh cool like I can achieve something here where I can help out my parents and get a, a scholarship that's pretty cool um, I can help out myself and get a scholarship and I don't have to take on as much student debt that's pretty cool like I'm gonna shoot yeah. for that 
Um, so it really became, as I got into middle school and early high school, the dream became D1 scholarship or I don't want to do it um, type deal. So I that remember that the mentality behind it. So, okay. So let's fast forward a little bit to, actually, I wanted to ask you, what did that do for your relationship with you and your dad? Cause you said you guys are best friends. Yeah. Um, I really admire the way that he coached me and the way that he became dad to me. Uh, he knew how to separate the two very well. And it's funny at about 14, was when I started to beat his like college times and he realized pretty around then and a little bit earlier that it was no longer his place to really coach me as a swim coach, but it was always his role to be there as a father, to be there as that guy who just needed, was there to listen to me when I needed it. He was there to offer me the sage wise advice uh, that my coaches, you know, just wouldn't tell me or whatever it may be. Um, so it, I was very grateful that he knew somehow I'm, I'm the oldest, I have a younger brother. Somehow he knew how to navigate that relationship with me very well. And, uh, it couldn't have turned out any better because he kind of over kind of gave over the reins to the other coaches that I had in my life and allowed them to really put their fingerprints on my work ethic and how I showed up and what I was doing and especially technique wise uh, and go from there. So I was, yeah, it, it was very, very full circle. I think later on in my career, it was cool to see he would, they never missed a college swim meet of mine. I think actually they missed one, uh, I believe in my entire four years, my dad even retired wow. um, early so that he could senior year, make sure that he was able to go and travel to all the meets and and do everything uh, with me. So it was, it was cool to see how that all came together. Wow. My heart is so warm. (laughs) That is amazing. What did that do to see your family in the, in you stands in like the swimming pool, right? I'm not very familiar (laughs) with swimming. Um, What did it do to see the, your family in the stands for every single meet? I feel like that's really rare. I mean, it was everything. The, the running joke, in college swimming in particular, uh, the stands are filled with, yes, there are stands. Uh, <laughs> well, filled I got that right. Family and whoever from your freshman floor that you were able to convince that swimming was cool enough for them to like come watch it. Because um, they typically happen on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. Most college kids weren't skipping the parties and everything else that's at your disposable on a Saturday afternoon to come spend it in a humid hot pool deck environment (laughs) and watch people go back and forth up and down a pool it's i'll be the first to admit like it's not the most exciting sport i once had a uh, family that i coached came and watched me swim the mile because i was a distance swimmer and they came up to after me and they go that was crazy Corey. i had this oh shit moment in the middle of your race that i needed to add parking to my car i was going to get a ticket (laughs) So I went and I added parking back to my car. I came back and you were still swimming. And I was like, yeah, imagine wow. like how I felt swimming. That whole time. I'm glad you didn't get a ticket. You're like, hmm, I'm still in the water. I'm yeah. still swimming. Am I there yet? Nope. Only halfway. That's fine. I'm going to keep swimming. Yeah, that is I, but hilarious. It, it was to answer your original question, like 
it was everything to have them there because you do feed off the energy. Like the, the people that are there um, really help contribute. And I really fed off of that and really rose to the occasion when the stands were packed. I, I couldn't be more excited. It was almost like, Oh, cool. That like, I can go perform now. This is my thing. Uh, whereas when it wasn't, I could still do it, but it was for different reasons. You know, what were the reasons? Yeah. I'd, I'd say when it was, I wouldn't, it's like, how to, how to word this? Um, when it was less people there, it was very much like for me and to prove to me like, okay, what's the best that I can do for myself? And that never fully went away when the crowd got bigger and the stands got more filled, but it definitely became more of like, now is a time to show out for the people that are here. Um, they get to see how 20 plus hours a week of me going back and forth, staring at a black line is going to pay off in a four minute or a five minute race, or sometimes even like a minute and a half race. Cause some of those things, some of those races are just, they're done like that. Um, so it shifted. It never went fully one way or the other, but I would be lying if I said, yeah, I wasn't doing it for, I wanted to impress the people that were watching. Right. Naturally too. I think when you're, when you become competitive in a sport, I think there is that part of you that wants to be an entertainer in a way or a performer mm-hmm. and not necessarily like to prove yourself, but I think sometimes that's ingrained in people where they learn, okay, well, this is something that I'm good at that I can entertain people with. I mean, it's like professional sports. It's like, well, I don't want to watch golf all weekend, but if Tiger's playing, absolutely. I want to watch that. But mm-hmm. it's because he's so not that he's his game is so amazing, but there's so much there's like the entertaining aspect of it as well. Um, so, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I remember watching people come to our games in the stands and like every year we got better. So more people came and more mm-hmm. people wanted to watch women's soccer. And you were like, oh, this is important to people. Like, I want to put on a good show. Like, I want them to be here for and see a good product, you know, because you you slave over it hours and hours and hours and you never like people don't see that part, you know? A hundred percent. I mean, my, my freshman year conferences was at university of Maryland, which is about 10 minutes, 15 minutes from where I grew up, which is very interesting because Delaware, where I went to school is in the CAA. It's not in the, I guess at that point, Maryland was in the big 10. But none of the CAA schools had a, a pool venue large enough to host a conference meet so university of maryland did and it was the the coolest thing because it was the biggest meet ever at that point my like career but i got to do it at a pool that i grew up swimming there like all the biggest meets that i ever did were at that pool up until that point so that was where states was that was where junior nationals and sectionals and all of the meets so it was like this familiar yet different environment when I was able to step into it freshman year. But it was the coolest thing too, because I got to invite all of the kids that I grew up with swimming that were still in the area of the younger kids. They, they were able to get out of practice to come watch and support me. So now all of a sudden, yeah, the stands aren't just my family and whoever I was able to convince. It was people that actually cared. It felt quite literally like a home game for me. And it was, that was again 
I rose to the occasion. It was the best meet I had ever had at that point in my career too. Oh. So it felt cool to to not only like have that opportunity to have the people in the stands, but then to back it up. And it got to the point where like they were texting me after each session being like, dude, like where did that come from? You've never gone that fast. Like <laughs> we wow. knew you were good, but we didn't know like this level. I was like, I've been trying to tell you guys I was I was working for the past <laughs> nine months to peak for this one thing. Like it worked. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So let's, let's move into college. What was you going from high school to college? Like, did you have lots of offers? Was it something that people knew about you? Was that something like, obviously you identified with it, but it was, was that the thing that the first thing that people would think of when they heard Corey camp, like, Oh, he's a swimmer. Is that, is that pretty much definitely the latter, right? Like it was definitely, that's how, I mean, even to this day, that's probably how, if you ask anyone I went to high school with, like, who am I? That would be how they described me. I was like, oh yeah, Corey used to swim dude. Like he was always swimming. Um, I mean, it got to the point senior year of high school, I had half day schedule. Um, and I would just take my four classes, leave at before lunchtime, go home, be able to take a nap and be able to focus on training because I would have two days, most days a week. And you would think if I'm doing that much work, I'm that dedicated to it that yeah, it would be natural that all of these scholarship opportunities and everything was was coming in my door. Well, the way that college swimming recruiting works, it's June 1 is going into your senior year is when all the coaches can start to contact you. And I had a really good junior year. I was ranked probably in the top like 200 or so in the nation in my events. So I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm making progress. Um, i could find a roster for sure on a, a D1 team and maybe a, a scholarship might be a little bit of a stretch, but we'll, we'll see how that stacks out. And I'll never forget going to bed May 31st, feeling like a kid on Christmas Eve, just like so excited. So giddy couldn't wait for the next morning to be just woken up to by emails and calls and, and everything. And then I woke up and nothing happened. Like I was like, is my phone broken? Do I like, wow. let me reset it. Let me <laughs> log out of my email, re-log re into my email. It's probably just not getting emails or something. Yeah. They and, all got lost. Yeah. It was like, it definitely internet. got lost. Right. And my number got changed. I don't know. They don't have it. And <laughs> man, I'll, I remember getting one phone call like in the afternoon that day. And I was like, yes, this is it. I've been waiting all day for this thing. And it was a D3 school. And they were like, we'd love to have you come check it out. And I was just kind of like half-hearted, like, oh, but like, you're not D1. Like that yeah. was, it's not the dream. And I was just like, thanks. Like I'll consider it. But like, no, that's not, that's not it. Um, I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the drawing board. I'm going to go back to what I know works and that's working my butt off in practice. And I'm going to have a good summer season. And hopefully that leads to something. And sure enough, that's what, happened for me as I started to get some traction because I had a really good summer meet there coaches were starting to contact me um and at the same time that this is starting to progress like this realization of this dream is finally starting to come to fruition like yeah I can I can taste it one mm -hmm. Saturday morning at practice we were doing some sprints off the bulkhead which uh, are off the the blocks to the bulkhead so we're only not even going a full 25 yards or anything it's probably about 15 yards really short sweet and you're diving in. So it's over like that. I remember getting up. It's the end of a three-hour practice. I get up on the block. And I notice my heart is racing. 
differently than it ever has before, but I just noticed it was like, okay, I'm probably tired. I'm probably exhausted. It will be okay. I'll just do this next one. And I dive in and as I go, I'm like, it's so weird. I'm underwater and I, I not, you can't breathe underwater. Right. But different than that, I felt like I can't even catch my breath. Like I didn't even catch my breath, like diving in. Yeah. Usually you breathe one more time before you hit the water. I couldn't even get a full breath. And I was like, this is really weird. I, I finished the sprint. I get to the, the bulkhead, which divides the deep end and the shallow end. And I notice I'm starting to lose some vision, I'm starting to lose some feeling in my hands and my feet. And I go, that's, that's not right. Like this has never happened before. What What's going on? And at 17, I thought the brightest decision would be, well, I'm going to walk the bulkhead to the <laughs> end of the pool. And if I just get there and I can rest, then I'll be okay. And so I go, and as I'm walking, I notice that the vision just starts getting narrower and narrower to the oh. point where the last few feet, I can't see at all. I've lost all vision, completely blacked out. I'm still conscious, but I just can't see. And my left foot misses both the pool deck and the bulkhead and goes right into the pool. And I just face plant down onto the pool deck. Oh. And then it was like that face plant woke me up, brought me out of whatever was going on and returning to my coach. I was like, did you see that? And he was like, what? And I was like, I lost my vision. He's like, how could we see that you lost your vision? Like, that's only something you can do. It's like, oh yeah, good You're point. Like, True. And he goes, yeah. He was like, um, are you dehydrated? Are you like, did you have not enough sugar? Like, is it blood sugar being low? Or all this stuff. And went to the ER, took all these tests. They they said, don't worry about it. Freak accident. We don't know what happened, but like, freak accident. Good. And I was like, that. Yeah, that was exactly my response. I was like, I don't know. Like, I felt that. And it just. It felt real. It felt really real. And sure enough, it wasn't a freak accident. It started happening like two or three times a month. And so on one hand, I'm starting to realize that I have a unknown heart condition is what the first assumption is. So we start to go see a bunch of cardiologists around the DC area. We're going to Johns Hopkins. We're going to Georgetown. We're going to GW. And all of them are telling me like, hey, just stop swimming and like this thing won't be an issue because you've only said that this has affected you while you're in the pool mm. I was like yeah but like swimming is my life so we got to find another option and one of the other options the only other option I was given actually at that time was just take medication some beta blockers it will limit your max heart rate and it might impact your performance in the pool but it should in theory fix the problem you'll just be on medication for the rest of your life. I'm like, I'm 17. I'm not going to take medication for the rest of my life. If I don't right. like absolutely have to, if there's another solution, we'll find it. And as that started to transpire, I was getting recruited and these colleges were, were talking to me and they were bringing me places. And I remember I did not want to tell any of the coaches <laughs> that were recruiting me, right. but I had this, like question mark, this gigantic question mark around my health and around my ability to show up for the program. And so long story short, I ended up going on a recruiting trip to University of Delaware only because my mom, being the amazing woman that she is, told me that a choice is made between two options, not one, because I wanted to commit to East Carolina because that was my first and only college visit. 
Um, and I just fell in love with the scene. I was like, this is awesome. I'm going here. And I'm like, no, no, no. Choice is Corey. You got to make two. Like two visits, then make a choice. Okay, fine. So I hit up my buddy, Jorge. And I said, hey, my mom's making me go on a, a recruiting trip. She's being lame. I wanted to go here, but where are you going? I'll, I'll go with you. He goes, I'm going to Delaware in two weeks. Here's the coach's contact. Like, hit him up. Cool, cool. So I shoot him an email. And he's like, you're interested in, like, swimming for us? I was like, yeah. Like, is that a problem? Like, what's going on? He's like, <laughs> we just assumed, like, you weren't going to come here. Like, what? I don't know, based off your times, you were a little faster than we typically recruit. So, like, we just weren't going to bother. I was wow. like, whoa. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> so I show up and I sit down with Coach uh Heyman in his office who's the head coach at the time and I don't know what it was MC about this this moment in particular compared to the other college coaching conversations I had but I just felt so compelled and comfortable in that office to just fully kind of just share like hey this is all that's going on with Mm. my heart and I don't know what's happening but I want to be here I want to contribute to this team I really like the culture you guys have in place I feel like I could be a contributor right away to the program. I just have this giant question mark with me. So if you're cool with helping me figure that out, like I'm down to come swim for you. And he goes, don't worry about that. We'll figure that out together. But we like, we want you here. And then he was like, here, basically it was like, we'll talk scholarship numbers and, and go from there. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's wow, big relief. Um, and I'll so say. that was kind of how that all transpired. I mean, I, I had the heart condition through my freshman year. I ended up getting surgery after my freshman year at conferences, which is a whole nother um, tangent story. But yeah, I was very grateful to be in an environment. That was the main deciding factor for me. Not only it was a, a bonus that they gave me scholarship money, but it was more just this environment that I felt like I could truly be my authentic self in. And I felt like I could really express like, the concerns of like, yo, I'm stressed. Mm -hmm. And I learned later on that this heart condition was triggered by extreme stress. So when I would find out news, like your grandmother has cancer or like finals are coming up for your first time in college, those kind of life altering triggering events of stress, that would be like clockwork. I would pass out at practice. So being able to become aware of that and then be able to have proactive conversations with my coaches around that uh, really helped out. And they recognized it and they would say, Hey, like when those would happen, they would say, just go home or go home, like relax. You're done for the day. You don't have to keep working so hard, like take a break. It's like, wow, that that's not common. Like who, no, you don't hear that as an athlete usually. No, that's a very healthy way to look at Honestly, I feel like that you're putting the person before the athlete, which mm-hmm. I don't think that happens a lot, especially when you hit, you know, D1 and like much bigger schools and more competitive programs. So for that to be your experience with the condition that you have, amazing. Like what a blessing. A hundred percent. I mean, I I look back and I'm I'm truly grateful for just the coaching staff and the support that I had there Um, because especially what you see now on the news around how different programs are um, being run I'm like I'm I'm very grateful that that wasn't my experience at least 
Absolutely. Any anytime I think you can find a program that is healthy and puts the person before the athlete and and cares about your well-being as a human, that is a gem in the rough. A hundred percent. We need more of that. We do. Corey, let's do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> NCAA is slow moving. What was your collegiate experience like? You go from, you know, people who know you as Corey Camp, the swimmer in high school, you're good. You have like, you're very good at what you do. Now you're at a D1 program, um, a healthy program. What does that do to your identity? You know, what does that do to now that you're in uh, like a bigger arena? What did that do to the pressure that you felt um, to compete and to perform? Mm. Such a good question. I think when I really look at it, I mean, at, at various points, I was reminiscing actually with a, a buddy of mine over the weekend. And I was like, dude, I was such just like a douchebag <laughs> in college. <laughs> like we were looking back at old Instagram captions and stuff that I would oh, post. No. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I mean, honestly, it it inflated my ego <laughs> to a point where now I can I can honestly laugh at looking back and be like, God, that 19-year-old kid had like such an outward cockiness and like ego about him but he was so so the opposite inside uh like I was not confident beyond the swimming pool I did not have any real I I don't know like just confidence in my sense of self that I could go and talk to someone uh that didn't have anything to do athletics I didn't have any really confidence in any abilities that I had outside of maybe school. Um, and even that started to come really challenging uh, because I was focusing so much on the swimming aspect at that level. So for me, it was, it was interesting because I watched my success in the pool create this false sense of confidence and ego outside of it for me, where I would go around and, do stuff that now I look back and I was like, that kid is a freaking idiot. Like, why did, who let him get away with that? Like, why did you do anything, any of this stuff, whether it be like go to formal with a girl and then um, uh, the perfect example, right? I go to a formal with a girl and I post an Instagram caption, me and her. And the caption is, I can't tell what's a better accessory, my new watch or the girl that's standing next, right next oh. to me. It's Gosh, a big Sean lyric. Cringy. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's like, <laughs> that's so me. I'm like, dude, what? Like who, oh. who gave me an Instagram account back then? Like, <laughs> who let me on here? I don't deserve that. Um, <laughs> but I keep that stuff up because it's a good reminder for myself. But also mm. I, I tell these stories now because I want to show other people like one, yes, you can grow through things. And two, it's like, we all start somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's okay for the motivation and the, everything to change as you as you grow. So, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience in college because while my swimming success took off, I felt as though like I then only identified with that mm-hmm. so much so to the point where I was on this upward trajectory where my freshman year and my sophomore year, every time I touched the water, it was like freaking magic. It was gold. I could do no wrong. I would do a best time. I wouldn't even just do like 
a best time by a little bit, like I would be dropping seconds, which is just unheard wow. of at that level. I would be breaking school records. I would this, that, and another thing. Um, and it just continued to go like that. And then junior year, it dipped a little bit, but I was still close to those times. So I like was kind of whatever. And then senior year just took such a nosedive. And what I realized was the intentionality wasn't there like it was in years prior. I had let my kind of ego become this false confidence in my even swimming ability where I said, well, I'm still going to show up early to practice, be the first one in the water and spend the most time there. But the time that I'm spending, I'm not really going to be the hardest, hardest worker there. I'm not going to like truly do it for the right reasons. I'm just going to check the box per mm. se. Um, so yeah, that was kind of a snapshot of four years into four minutes. Wow. I know I have so many questions running through my head and I'm like, I don't know if I have time for all these, but <laughs> we'll take a crack at it. Okay. So you said when you were eight years old, you wanted to represent the United States at the Olympics be a swimmer. You wanted that life. What about now? You're in college. You are, you're peaking. You are, you are the best you have ever been at your sport. Um, and then you have a few rough years. What is like, what did that do for your confidence? And then what did that do for your dream? Was that something you were still chasing? Yeah. I mean, I always told myself the Ryan Lochte story of, if you're familiar with him, um, he was like the am. next best swimmer behind, uh, Phelps great guy and very misunderstood guy as well um you two go way back <laughs> we, we've chatted um he's he's a good dude good guy and i look at his story and he was not the fastest out of high school went to florida had a good career but not crazy standout like olympian olympic gold medalist world record holder style career he stuck with it and he was able to make that happen and make something of his, himself in the sport. And I was like, Hmm, if Ryan could do it, I think I could do it. So then I started to view my own trajectory and I would just kind of like check him and be like, okay, cool. Like we swim similar events. I wonder, you know, where was mm. he at this age and where, and I would be like closing the gap as the years got uh, going but I would say the the main turning point was like sophomore year. I would I would beg to say I I had an outside shot at making that a reality if I stayed on that same trajectory that I had been the previous two years. The thing with sport, as you know, it's very rare that it's just this continual like exponential growth curve up in your skill level. Oh no, uh, you're you're bound to plateau and and hit moments like that, and so. Yeah, it, it quickly shifted at the end of sophomore year to the end of junior year being like, I just want to qualify for NCAAs. And to do so in men's swimming is it's very challenging. You have to be a top 30 in the nation in your event. Um, at my peak, I was top 75 in three events. So not just one, but in all three. And I was like right around the same area in all three. It was hard to identify which one was my true best race so as that went on uh later on i was like oh man yeah I don't, I don't know if this is gonna happen and then by senior year it was like i don't even think we're in a plateau plateau anymore i think we're in a huge dip and i don't <laughs> see this going out anymore 
And by the time I finished my last race, my hand touched that wall. I was like, I want nothing to do with this sport. I want to move away from this thing. I want to forget all about this. I, it really left a bitter taste in my mouth because mm. it didn't end the way that I had expected it to. And I really let that bitterness drive me so far in the other direction for a while as well um, to a point where it, it took me a while to really come to peace with swimming might not be in my life anymore the way that it was, but I can still be an athlete in so many different ways. Let's explore that and see what can happen. What do you do with the unmet expectations that you had for yourself? Mm. What do I do with them? What did you do with them? Did you do something with them or are you still working through that? I do something that? with them. I think I just really sat with them. And for the first time a few years ago, I looked at why I had them and why I was so attached to them in the first place. Like, What was the reason, the metric for it? Uh, and to your point earlier, you had asked what changed when there was a larger crowd versus smaller. And what I noticed for me was those expectations were placed on me because of what I wanted to be perceived by other people. I thought I would be perceived differently if I had a nationals cut or not even a nationals cut, um, Olympic trials cut and qualified for a national team and qualified for um, the Olympic team and, and that sort of thing. But I realized like, it's kind of a harsh realization. My quality of a life didn't exponentially get better if I was just like 0.2 faster or like a second faster anymore. Like the this, the mm -hmm. difference of me making some of these things happen and, and not didn't really change anything. And when I realized that, I was like, huh, okay, I can move on from this. Like I can, I can be okay with this. Like I, I did everything that I could and now let's explore like what's what else is out there i want to get I, curious again and i started to get back into just approaching life in a way that i approached swimming when i first found it and it was really driven by i want to just spend time with quality people around me and we just so happen to be working hard towards something at the same time that's where i really thrived and so that's what i try to do now is how do i surround myself with people that are working hard uh, but I really enjoy spending that time with. And I, I've, for the most part, like I still have goals, but I've let go of the external expectations. Like it would be cool to be named Forbes 30 under 30, but it's not like the driving motivation for me. It'd be cool to get on ESPN, but it's like, again, not what gets me out of bed every morning. What gets you out of bed every morning? It's earlier versions of me it's it's me at 19 that's the ego driven and posting lord knows what on instagram just totally lost in this false sense of confidence and not truly understanding how to express himself it's the me at 22 who was turning to alcohol and just drinking into oblivion because he wanted to escape the reality of what he was in because it wasn't what he expected of the world after sport. It's the me even at 24, 25, where I was just starting to try to figure out how to do content and show up online and to 
start my own podcast and be an entrepreneur, whatever that word meant. You know what I mean? But it's it's just showing up for past versions of myself because I know there's so many people out there that see themselves in that version of me as well. And I want to show them that through my experience, they can shift their own. They can create a new experience for themselves from there. They just have to be open to it. So that's that's what gets me out of bed. That's what gets me on to the different platforms to create content and just openly share like, hey, look, I might have been an asshole at some point in my life. And if I was to you, like deeply, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm learning to be better and I'm learning how I acted that way and why I acted that way. And if you're open to it, let's have a conversation and let's heal from that and grow forward from here. Um, because I, I didn't have that at those different stages, even with the healthy college system that I, I had, I felt like I still to go to therapy junior year, like had to hide that from teammates, had to hide that from family, had to hide that from coaches even, um, because I felt that was the thing that would be the most wrong with me if I were to come out and, mm. and say that. Um, so I just want to be a voice for the people that don't feel like they have one in a lot of ways. Wow. That's amazing. I do love all the stuff that you do. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. You're probably not going to like. Let's what, go. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Mm, what do I do when I don't want to do? Well, I never have that. So. Uh, you know, oh, I was I like, what? That. All right. Conversation over. I have that all the time. Literally. Like I have this whiteboard here to the left of me. And when I don't know what to do, that's where I go. Um, and then if I'm having trouble even brain dumping that, what I realize is that I need to just create space. So what I've learned this is a huge tangible takeaway for, I think a lot of people is what we sought as athletes was flow state was that peak game like in the zone moment where we were locked in nothing else mattered we could do the hard work it became easy and like we played out of our minds we can recreate that through a flow cycle which is a four stage cycle it's the same cycle that we unknowingly went through when we like prepared for a game the first part is a struggle phase that's often warm up for most athletes then we have a release phase that's like taking a break from warm up because you're not warming up right until the moment that you like the game starts, right? You you take a break. Hopefully. And hopefully, right? Yeah, you're not you're not hitting <laughs> kicking the I don't know, whatever you're doing right until the, the last minute. Um, and then you have flow itself, the holy grail, what we want to all be able to achieve. And then we have recovery afterwards where we gotta take a break, rest, recharge our batteries and get ready to go again. So what I've realized is I've been able to cultivate a level of self-awareness where when I don't know what to do, it's oftentimes when I'm stuck and struggle. So if I'm finding myself struggling through something, I need to get to a point where I'm flirting with frustration, but don't actually get there. So I'll start to become aware of my thoughts and say, okay, how am I feeling about this? Am I feeling really stuck? Can I like push through it? Or am I getting to the point where I'm just like so frustrated where logic doesn't even make sense? Um, <laughs> I just need to go like blow off some steam or whatever it may be. We have this, what's known as this emotional refractory period after triggering events. So if we get triggered by something in our life, 
just like your muscles can't fire right after they fire, there's mm-hmm. a refractory period there. The same thing with our emotions. We can't be met with logic when we're really, really upset or angry or depressed. The most logical thing just does not get through to our brain. It's the same thing when we're when we're frustrated. So you could you could I could be figuring out what to do and you can say, Corey, here is the math, the answer of what you're doing. I say, MC, I don't need that. I'm trying to figure out what to do. Thanks, but no thanks. Like I'll get back to you <laughs> when I figure this out. It's like, no, that was that was the helpful thing. So when you find yourself in those moments, the release becomes critical. It's why you have the best ideas when you're in the shower or you take a break. Mm. Your mom was onto something when she was telling you that as a kid. Shower thoughts. So that's what I do is I start to identify, am I struggling? Am I frustrated? If I am frustrated, cool. It's time to take a break. It's time to step away, reset, and then come back to that problem when I'm in a much more clear headspace to solve that puzzle. Um, And that often then becomes a result of brain dumping, just everything that's going on, all the decisions that I'm, I'm trying to make, the different possible outcomes, and then starting to weigh like, okay, best case scenario, worst case scenario. Okay, great. Let's go this way <laughs> and go from there. As a former athlete and someone who has been through the transition themselves, speaking to somebody else that is uh, either about to transition or they're in the middle of it, um, they're in that struggle phase. How does this process help them? How would they apply this? Mm. It applies at the micro level. So like we go through that flow cycle multiple times a day and it f- comes at the meso level. So at like the weekly level as well. And then what the more macro, the more month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year. So identifying that like it's okay if a struggle phase lasts a few weeks like that is normal you feel that when you start something new when you become a beginner again at something right you might be in this larger overall struggle phase that lasts a few weeks as you maybe get accustomed to a new job or you're figuring out and trying to apply to jobs in the first place and that just ended whatever it may be just know that even though you're in this larger macro struggle phase, you can still go through these micro flow cycles and you can still feel bits of yourself throughout. It just won't be the dominant feeling of that season of your life. Just like when you're in preseason, like the training kind of sucks a little bit, Ugh, right? Don't it, remind it's me. It's brutal. You're, you're out of shape maybe. Like, and no matter what, every year you go and you're like, I won't do this. I won't make the same mistake next year. <laughs> I'm going to come back in shape. And then you get to that point where like postseason ends, you go into the off season and you're like, Oh my God, I'm a human now. I don't have to be an athlete. Like I'm going to just chill and then rinse and repeat. Right. Um, but recognize like you've been through this before you've done it, especially the higher level you've done it. You've done it really, really well. Trust that that process, but be, more intentional with it because now for the first time you don't have coaches around you you don't have the strength coaching you don't have the actual coaches from your sport telling you hey it's time to start preseason hey it's time to switch over to we're in season hey it's like championship season postseason hey now it's off season Mm -hmm. you have to make that choice and that decision for yourself and you can still can and actually if anything you have more autonomy to do it now than you ever had before 
you just have to understand you can leverage that to your favor and to tangibly do so. One of the best ways that I like to look at it is from a day-to-day standpoint on Sundays, I'll plan out my whole week ahead and I'll look at my week ahead. How does that align with my larger goal for that month, for that quarter, for that six months and for that year, whenever that may be. I, I practice goal stacking there just like you would as an athlete. So on Sundays, I plan out my whole week, see how it falls in accordance. And then I look at each day and I say, okay, great. How can I make sure I'm going through this flow cycle a couple times throughout the day, at least twice, Hmm. so that maybe the activity that I'm trying to find flow in is through work today. Or maybe I have a big run, training run for a marathon or something like that, that I am working towards. I will then make sure that I like set up my structure so that I'm peaking at the right times, but creating this daily cadence then at the end of this, like, in all honesty, this is coming towards the end of my day here. As soon as we finish this, I'm going to go through my, my daily wind down routine, which I encourage people to steal bits and pieces of, but to really create their own, uh, because it works for me and it might not work for everyone. But the way that works is first and foremost, I clear the red. So I look at all of the text messages, DMs, emails, like whatever red notifications that typically show up on your computer and your phone, clear that. Mm. That helps me just reduce stress, honestly. I don't feel like I have to get back to someone. From there, I look at, okay, reviewing what did I do today? Did I do all of that? If I didn't, then I look at tomorrow's plan and I adjust it accordingly. So maybe some tasks didn't get done. They get carried over. They get plugged and played. I like to view it as like I'm playing Tetris within my schedule. So I'm just moving things up and around. And because I'm reviewing at the end of each day, I can move things pretty seamlessly so Mm -hmm. that then when I finish this activity, which takes me now about 20 minutes to 30 minutes, I can confidently say I'm good. Like I can tie the, the knot on the day put it away, feel confident that like I did what I needed to or what I what I could do today. And that tomorrow will be a better day if I need it to be. And I'm just going to go from there. So hopefully that answers your question of like some actual tangible takeaways. Because yeah, it is a lot to take a, a broad concept like a flow cycle. But that's how I'm looking at it, making sure it's applied every single day that I, I go about. I love that. I think that's such a great way, especially when you're an athlete, you already understand. I almost feel like you have a, an advantage. You understand that cycle. Um, but I do have one more question for you. I know we're getting to the end of our time here. Yeah. Um, these are all like great tangibles in theory. But oftentimes I found that a lot of former athletes, they struggle with the motivation part. So they're used to having these external motivators, i.e. coaches and teachers and you know, your teammates are holding you accountable and now it's just you. How did you change your mindset so that you were intrinsically motivated rather than um, externally motivated? Mm. I think it's, we'll always have a mix of both. And I think it's important to realize like when you find yourself stuck, especially in the starting phase or pre-starting phase, you need something extrinsic to get you started but you can't rely on extrinsic motivation to keep you going because Mm -hmm. it's great to get you over that first initial hump, but it's, it's horrible 
to then become dependent on it long, long term. So for me, it was honestly starting to have some conversations with other people and realize, oh, I'm not the only one that's feeling this. Okay, cool. That's like a little bit validating, uh, which again is why a lot of what I do is sharing that that mm-hmm. story with other people. Um, and then from there, it was like, well, what do I want? Asking myself that for the first time, like freaking ever in my life, what do I want? And like sitting with that and mm-hmm. being okay that like, I don't have to have that answer. And whatever answer I come out with doesn't have to be the only answer right now. Like that can change in all these different areas and points of my life. But I, as long as I continually check in on that, I can make sure I'm on the right path. So for me, it was like, I didn't ask myself that right away. I still wanted external success. So I went into sales. That was the first job for me because I knew, well, if I could make $100,000 on the outside, it looked like I was successful and I was doing well, but it wasn't what I wanted, but it motivated me. And it, it showed like the first six months of that job, I showed up, I was recognized as one of the hardest working new employees. I was given tickets to Ravens games and this, that, and another thing, like all the bonuses. It was sweet. But then just subtle shifts. I realized it really sunk in more and more that it wasn't what I wanted to do. So all of a sudden I started getting like, Oh, Hey Corey, you're, you're doing well. Like here's the Ravens box tickets for this, this upcoming Sunday. I'm like, I don't even really want to go like hmm. I don't and when I I knew when that we got to that point I had to really sit with myself and say hey maybe I'm quitting this job maybe I'm stepping away and I'm quitting the first thing like ever in my life I don't know how to, how to do that but um, I'm going to learn how to do that and I'm just gonna become a summer swim coach because that was what I felt called and compelled to do hmm. and if it looks like I'm not doing the right thing or I'm going backwards to other people. I'm okay with that. And that was like the moment that things really shifted for me. It was the moment where I quit that job. I became a summer swim coach, which was a two month job. I became a lifeguard again. uh, And it looked like I was going so far backwards, but it was really creating space for me to then sit with that question even more and say, what do I want? What do I want? I want to help people and started off with fitness and it became mindset and life coaching. And, and it's just grown from there, but it never would have, if I never allowed myself that space to ask myself that question in the first place. Mm, That is so good. Giving yourself space to think about what you actually want and why you're doing the things you're doing is key in not just sports, but I think really in life, like it's such a, uh, crucial, um, what am I trying to say? A crucial my words are gone. What's the word? A crucial, crucial skill. Question. A crucial yeah. skill. <laughs> it's such a crucial skill to have in life, um, especially when you're working through those struggles and the challenges that get thrown at you every single day, every month, every year. Um, I think that's amazing. But yeah, I, I want to transition real quick into what you're doing now. You said you were coaching. You just launched a community group, correct? Is that what it is? Yeah. So the Forever Athlete Social Club um, is our new membership platform that we just launched. And essentially what it does is it's taking the athlete experience, putting it at the center of community, content, and coaching. I realized 
also, as I've gone through the, the life coaching space and done all this stuff now for a couple of years, um, there's a lot of BS out there and there's a lot of like crazy, unreal, like unreasonably high ticketed things. Yeah. I'm like, that's really $30,000. Like, why are people paying that? And I just didn't, it didn't sit right with me because I think the people that benefit the most from the life coaching, from the mindset shifts, from the content are the people that honestly, realistically can't afford that sort of like resource. So I wanted to really decentralize that, that sort of information, deliver it in a way where it's centered on the athlete. So it, it speaks the same language as them. First and foremost, it's not this crazy Here's this neuroscience TED talk of this, this, and another thing. It's mm-hmm. it's truly relatable to the to the athlete, the demographic that we primarily speak with. And it invites them in a conversation. And it's all for less than your Netflix subscription. So it's $15 a month. And people can try it out for a week. They can then give it a go from there. Uh, try it for a week free. And then go from there. And if it's something that makes sense, continue to, to be in that community. We have masterclass experts coming in every single week now teaching new skills. We have someone teaching on running this week. We have a registered dietitian coming in the following week. We have life coaches. We have therapists. So uh, good. The goal is to really provide as much really tailor-made content as possible to empower these athletes to create a new experience moving forward. And then it gives them the ability to connect with others in their area in that same uh, spot because it it will push you other members of the social club that are based off of your geographic location. The whole point being like, we want to encourage people to connect here, but then create an experience in real life outside of that. This mm-hmm. is just like, we increase the collisions, but from there it's like, do whatever you want with them. That is so good. So you're essentially creating a virtual community and then netting it down to have the sort of local athlete community where you can effectively, you know, transition and, and be support for each other um, as you move on to different things and you try different things in life. So that is awesome, Corey. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. The the goal is to have in-person chapters across the nation and across the world at some point uh, for right now, we're, we're primarily Austin because that's where I'm at, but we have an LA chapter and dc san francisco philly minnesota and possibly colorado coming soon like denver area amazing that is so good well i don't want to hold you up uh anymore but i appreciate you coming on this has been such a fantastic conversation i probably could talk to you for another hour i had so many questions but don't worry i'll keep them for next time um, is there anything else you want to mention, talk about that we we didn't really touch base or is urgent? No, MC, I, I just want to say thank you for having me, for providing the space. It's It's been a, an absolute pleasure, an absolute blast getting to jam with you. And I really do appreciate it. If anyone out there wants to connect with me, just at Corey Camp on Instagram or um, at Forever Athlete on TikTok, or those, those are the two main platforms that are the most active. And foreverathletesocialclub.com is where that social club is linked. But again, thank you for the space. It was, uh, it was a blast. Hey, thanks for giving this episode a listen. If this episode resonated with you, 
please leave a review and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Oh, one more thing. Stay in the know on Insta. Tag a former athlete, teammate, friend, foe, family member. You get the point. I would love to connect with you. Okay, friends, that is all she wrote. I'll see you next week.